0: I'm going to ask you to please turn with me in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 4. Our Old Testament reading this morning is from Daniel chapter 4, verses 28 through 35. I know it says 37 in your bulletin, but it's actually 35. I just changed that right now. (laughs) And then we'll go over to Romans 9 through 20, focusing in on the last couple verses of that chapter. Of or, or that uh, pericope. so Daniel uh, chapter four, and many of you are familiar with this. This is Nebuchadnezzar being um, brought down, as it were. His arrogance was high against the against the Lord and himself, and the Lord really humbles him in a major way. And then we see Nebuchadnezzar after he's restored his testimony to the Lord, because the gospel applies to every single person. Not just the chosen ones of Israel. Every single person, every nation is under the auspice of God. will answer to him. That's been Paul's point in Romans. So, uh, that's far. Daniel chapter 4, beginning in verse 28. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon which I have built and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagles' feathers, and his nails were like birds' claws. At the end of the day's, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me and I blessed the Most High and praised and honor him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing and he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And no one, can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? There's the awesome, sovereign power of Almighty God. Now let's turn over to Romans chapter 9. And just keep in mind, he was talking to the most powerful, prominent man in the world at that time, Nebuchadnezzar. Chapter 3, we read uh, verses 9 through 20, last week, we will focus in on verses 19 and 20 this morning. But just for the context, we'll we'll start at verse 9. What then, Paul says, are we Jews any better off? Not at all, for we've already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin, as it's written. No one is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together, they have become worthless. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we you thank you and praise you so much? Thank you, Lord, for your word. And I just pray that, again, by your spirit, you would... um and illuminate our hearts, give us understanding of your word, and I just pray that we're totally engaged in your word this morning, Lord God, um, and and that you would continue to show us what we need to know and, and teach us, Lord, that we may learn from you, Lord, that we might be convicted where we need to be convicted, encouraged in the areas that we need encouragement, Lord God, strengthened in those areas in which we are weak in our faith, Lord God, always looking to, relying upon Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen and amen. All right, praise God. Last week we did talk about the sinfulness of sin and the sinfulness of man, that none of us are exempt from that. We keep thinking, oh, this applies to somebody else, not me. This applies to all of us, to one degree or another. We go on from there, and we come to our passage today, and um this is just so very powerful as Paul closes out This section from 118 to 320, talking about our need, talking about our sinfulness, no escape, nothing, nowhere to run, nowhere to hide before the Lord, man. We can't do it. And today, it's just like Paul, like a judge is bringing down the gavel and saying, okay, this is it. You're guilty. Two big conclusions from this whole section. Number one, and these are our two points for this morning, number one, We are guilty of sin beyond a shadow of a doubt. We just need to get that through our heads and into our hearts and our minds that we are guilty, spiritually speaking. There's no good that we could do that God will look down and say, okay, you're all right. You know, you're, you're mostly good, so I'm going to accept you. We need to see ourselves as scripture describes us and who we truly are guilty beyond a shadow of a doubt. And then the second big point is there's nothing you could do to save yourself, man. There's nothing you could do, no works, not trying harder, not doing better. Again, you know this because we've talked about this time and again, but Paul's driving this point home for us. So, number one, we are guilty beyond a shadow of a doubt. And he says this, he says, we know that whatever the law speaks, it speaks to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. This is so powerful, man. I don't know if you realize how powerful this is, how dramatic this is, how definitive Paul is when he says that Every single mouth is going to be stopped. Do you know every mouth? You're not going to be able to say anything before the Lord God when you're standing in his private Presence. It's so vivid, man. It is so good. Not one person, what Paul's saying here, not one person, apart from faith in Christ, will have anything to say in their own defense when they stand before Almighty God. You'll have no defense whatsoever to offer Him, right? We make a lot of excuses for our sins. We have a lot of defenses for our sins today. When you stand before God, you are going to be found out. That's it. It's like those shows or or a movie, a crime movie or whatever, when... When that person is found out for their crime. And there's no way there's the it's it's indisputable evidence, it's overwhelming evidence. They're caught red-handed. Do you know what that red-handed means? That that comes from I looked that up just the other day. Because you're caught red-handed and and it goes back, I think, to Scotland, and it was like a person, after they had murdered somebody, would have blood on their hands, and so they would see the red blood. You're red-handed, so you have blood on your hands in that way. That's one story anyway, but I just wanted to put that out there. But but the idea is that before the Lord, like, you know, like you see those shows, and that, that criminal criminal's just getting away with it, getting away with it. Is this person ever going to get caught, you know, kind of talking their way out, talking their way through it, and then finally whatever it is, a piece of evidence, a video, whatever comes forth, and that person is just busted and you can't say anything, you know? And the show kind of ends like that when that definitive piece of evidence or witness comes forth and says, you did it, or you're caught red-handed. What do you say? That's what it's going to be like before the Lord. Every mouth will be stopped. Make no mistake. Every mouth will be... Every smooth talker... Who's able to talk their way out of any situation will be silenced before the Lord. You know that? Do you understand that? The loudmouth skeptic, and there are a lot of loudmouth skeptics today, will know that they will have nothing to say when they stand before the Lord. That's what Paul said. Every mouth will be stopped. You will say nothing before him. The proud of their rebellion, loud boasters of their shame, which there are so many of today, just boasting in their shame almost throwing it in God's face, will stand humbled and they will stand ashamed and they will stand silent on that day. That's what Paul's saying. Don't think you will have nothing. Your mouth will be closed. All those who have rationalized, who have justified, who have minimized their sin will realize on that day what they have done. They'll realize it under the weight of truth and you will have no defense. Think about this. This is the reality. The moment one dies, apart from Christ, apart from faith in Christ, you'll stand before God, and you will be silent as the full awareness of what you already know about yourself comes to light. Do you understand that? You already know. We learned that from moments We're already suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. What you already know about yourself is going to come to light before God and you will have nothing to say. You're not going to have a defense. You will know how perfectly he knows you. That he knows you so perfectly that you can't even begin to make a defense for yourself. It's going to be useless, right? You're not going begin to do. You will have nothing to say. That's what Paul is saying. Every mouth. and fact, will be stopped and the whole world will be held accountable before him. Do you know that? There's not going to be, oh, wait, 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 God, let me explain. But, you know, please let me explain this, this idea. Just give me a minute, Lord. Uh, you know, the, the reason I did that was I didn't know. There's not going to be any of that because you're going to know that he knows. <laughs> and you know. I'm sounding like psych. <laughs> Inside joke. Um This is so powerful. If you're an unbeliever, you, this should give you great pause. It really should. And if you witness unbelievers, this should give them great pause and cause you to turn to Christ today. Because you know for a long time you can get away with things. You know for, you can get over on people with your sin. You can get, you could trick some people. You can even fool yourself to a degree. But apart from Christ, when you stand before the Lord, Paul says, guess what? You're not going to have anything to say. You're gonna know. You're gonna. Um, that's it. I'm guilty before you, Lord, with nothing. Even the rich man. Remember the rich man in Lazarus of, of Luke 16. Do you remember? He didn't. Try to justify himself. Isn't that interesting? He didn't say, "Oh, I'm down here. I, you know, I didn't know any better. I should have treated Lazarus better." And no, he didn't do any of that. He didn't plead his case. What did he do? He pled for his family that they wouldn't come to this place. Please send somebody to my family and tell them about this place. When you stand before him, you'll know that you have nothing to say. You'll fully realize your guilt, your rejection, and your rebellion of God. No matter how much you purty it up in this life, you'll be laid bare before him. That's powerful. You'll know his perfect justice, righteousness, and holiness. Now, conversely, believers... We'll know that as well, right? We'll know his righteousness, justice, and holiness. If you're trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, we're going to stand in stunned amazement before him because of the grace that we have received. Yes, I know, and we're told in Scripture that we will be praising him, we'll be rejoicing in the Lord for all eternity, obviously, unending praise. But no doubt, no doubt, there will be a stunned Silence of humility and awe as we stand in his presence. He says, when no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, or heart can imagine what God has prepared for you. Now you imagine being in the presence of the Lord. What are you going to say? Just stand in stunned amazement that he chose you, a sinner. It's beyond words as we consider our own unworthiness and his great love for us. We're going to know how unworthy we truly are, but how much he loved us and how much we're worth in him. What are you going to say to that? I know we'll be praising him, but initially there's going to be a, you know, I always try to think of some illustrations to bring this forth. I'm not too great with that. You guys know that, but. This kind of reminds me, and I read this kind of of Willy Wonka, the old Willy Wonka, the original Willy Wonka. You remember when they are going through that hallway and it's all tiny, tiny, tiny. They come to the doors and then he opens up the big doors to the chocolate room, right? And what's going on? Are people saying anything initially? The kids, no, that's just stunned amazement and looking and an awe of that. Now that can't compare to being in the presence of the Lord, but you know, it's a tiny little earthly illustration of that idea. What are you going to say? That silence, right? Because of that overwhelming forgiveness and love that we have, apart from the sinners who stands condemned and guilty, have nothing to say. Beyond words as we consider our own unworthiness and his great love for us. Now, think about it. Think about Jesus Christ, your Savior, who did no wrong. Jesus never did one thing wrong, ever. He had every right to defend himself, didn't he? See, we're so quick to defend ourselves. We're so quick to justify our sins. We're so quick to justify our anger, our gossip, our malice towards others. Christ, who was not guilty, who was purely innocent of everything when it came his time did not defend himself man if we're just a little bit right if we're just a little bit in the right don't we defend ourselves so much and when we're kind of in the real right we love to defend ourselves and we love to tell people how right we are and how wrong they are that's all right you can you know you know when you're driving Man, if if, you're, if somebody does something wrong when they're driving and you're in the right, they kind of go through the stop sign or they cut you in line. You know, it's really your turn. What do you do? Rah! You know, because they're wrong and you're really right, so you feel right. Yeah, yeah, you could say say that to them. So, so, when we're right, we like to let people know. Jesus was completely innocent. Jesus was always right, and he was never wrong about anything. And yet. For you, for you, for sinners like us, he kept silent. Isaiah tells us in Isaiah 53, we're told as it looks forward to Jesus Christ, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that's led to slaughter, like a sheep that's before its shears, is silent, so he opened not his mouth, don't you love Jesus that he didn't defend himself because he was the innocent one in matthew twenty seven twelve But when he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. He kept silent for us matthew twenty seven a couple of verses later, but he gave him no answer, not even a single charge to a single charge. So that the governor was greatly amazed that he wasn't defending himself. He kept silent. See, sinners' mouths are going to be closed before the Lord. They're going to know. They're not going to have anything to say. Jesus did not open his mouth. Why? Because only one who is completely innocent had to suffer the penalty for the guilty. Because he loves us. Because he loves the Father. He was perfectly innocent. He perfectly could have defended himself and be shown not guilty, but for our sake, he remained silent. Only a perfect, sinless sacrifice is able to satisfy the wrath of God. That's why he remained silent. Only a perfect sacrifice is able to atone, to cover, and fully pay for our sins. He is the spotless lamb. Remember, they had to bring, people had to bring the the, the lamb or the offering without defect. Now, of course, there's always defect because we live in a fallen world, but this is foreshadowing. It's picturing Christ. It's picturing the perfect sacrifice for you. So you brought forth the best that you had, the spotless lamb to atone for sin. Christ is a willing sacrifice, makes the perfect satisfaction that you may be reconciled to God. The love of Christ we see the love of Christ in action by him being silent and then willingly going to the cross to pay for our sins. You see that? We as sinners try to justify ourselves. We're not going to have anything to say. Christ, the only one who was innocent, said nothing that we may be justified. you understand the love of Christ for us, the hope of Christ? Paul's saying every mouth is going to be closed. Every mouth is going to be shut. There's not going to be a defense for you. Then he goes on to say in our second point. That every mouth may be stopped. The whole world may be accountable to God. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. This is very important as well. What we just talked about was Jesus. What is Jesus passive obedience? Like he he pass He let these things happen to him for you. Because you can't do it. You can't bear the punishment of God. You can't stand before God. So Jesus willingly, because of his deep love for us, did what he did. Let things happen to him that happened to him. Passive obedience. Then he goes on to say that the law, no one's going to be justified by the law. Because by the works of the law, you can't be saved. That's that's a big deal. Nothing you could do to save yourself. You have to understand this. Paul isn't introducing anything new. Like, we like to say, oh, that's Old Testament. Yeah, they were trying to be saved by the law. They had to keep the law. No, no, no. No. Never. Old Testament, it wasn't never, you were never saved by law keeping. Now, the New Testament, we're saved by grace. No. How many ways of salvation has there always only been? One. And that's by grace alone. Now, he even goes back to Genesis 3.15. Paul's not adding something new. This isn't a new kind of teaching. He's just recovering what they have left behind. He's reminding them of God's plan all along. It goes right back to Genesis 3.15. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He'll bruise you on the heel and you'll crush him on the head. That's a promise of grace. That's a promise of the gospel. That's a proto-evangelion. And that's been works out through scripture and unfolds through scripture. And we see that. That's the promise of grace and the promise of the gospel. No one was ever saved by doing works of the law. It was never meant for that. And that's what Paul's saying. It has a different purpose. It has several uses, but one of them is to bring out our sin. But you know why? (laughs) When Paul reminds us, he he does it in other places as well. We'll see in just a moment. But he says we can't be saved by our good works. Why does he press that man? Why does he always say that? Why, well, you're not saved by the law, by the works of the law. You're not saved by trying to be a better person. Well I'll do better next time. I'll try harder. At least I'm not as bad as so I'm not as bad as I was. And you know, see that listen, that that is Paul's pressing this and tells us this because it just comes to us so naturally, doesn't it? It's the most prominent. Prevalent, popular way of people trying to be made right with God, right? And it it even doesn't matter what religion you're in, it always comes down to something we do. We're never relying completely on God's grace, which is actually what Scripture teaches. So people, what we do naturally, all of us, to one degree or another, before grace comes into our heart and the Holy Spirit regenerates us and we understand the truth, is we hope that our good outweighs the bad, how many of you do that? you just hope the good things that you do kind of outweigh the bad things that you do, and that god grade, grades on a curve that's a big deal too that he definitely takes into consideration all those things I hope he gra- grades on the curve i can't tell you how many people I've heard say that to me. I hope he grades on a curve he doesn't groove on a curve. he has his law there all right you can't that's the standard, but we want that because that's where we naturally go don't you you we do that it and part of it is because to so many of us, it just makes sense. It follows, right, in life. If I work hard, if I'm diligent, if I do my best, if I'm fair, if I'm honest, I expect to be rewarded, right, (laughs) at least to that point. And there's there's part of that that's true in in, in a human way. It should be that way, right? So, So we kind of Translate that into the spiritual say hey, I'm pretty good. I I'm I'm a i i am work I play by the rules. Do you play by the rules? I play by the rules. I deserve to be recognized. So why not with God? That's the question. And he said, No law is going to save you. No works of the law. No matter how subtle you try to be, no matter how good you try to be, when you try to be saved by the law, you just become legalistic, and then you're never you'll never know that you're saved because you're really not saved but you're kind of hoping that you will be saved. That's legalism, and that's so prevalent even in evangelical churches, to be sure. So why not with God? Because, and here's why, the law of God is the perfect standard. It requires perfect righteousness and perfect obedience all the time. That's the standard. If you don't meet the standard, then there's consequences, right? No matter how hard you try. If you're in a classroom, you don't meet the standards in the classroom, do you pass? Don't answer that because this these days, yeah, yeah, you do pass. <laughs> but we're not going to get into that. But, you know, if you're an airline pilot and you don't meet the rigorous requirements for that, the standard for that, are you? would you like to fly on that plane? Oh, we're going to pass you anyway, even though you didn't meet the standards. Listen, to try to meet the standards, try to think of it in, in a human way, like meeting the standard of God, the works of God. It's like a maybe like a student in every single subject at the highest level, um, meeting, getting an A plus in all the advanced classes in every single subject all the time, never missing one answer on a test, right? So, so you need to be not only proficient, but kind of a, a, a stellar student and it doesn't matter what subject. So, so it, it, I mean, it's every subject. So it's not just history. It is history. It's math. It's science. You know, all biology. Every single field. You know, all the subfields within, within these categories. Um, music, art. Right. Are you advancing everything all the time? Sports. Right. So you're an AP, all of these getting perfect grades all the time, not missing one answer. Well, that's not fair. Who could do that? Exactly. Exactly. Who can keep the law of God? Not one person. And and that's the idea. That's the standard. So you you would have to be perfect in every way all the time. And that's what Paul said. You can't do that. He says, by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Since it's through the law comes a knowledge of sin. If you think that you can meet this requirement, if you're trying that, if you think you're a good person, if you're saying in your mind, in your heart, well, I'm glad I'm not like that person. At least I'm not like that. God knows how hard I try. He gets me in this way. And you're still kind of living in your sin and you're kind of justifying or minimizing your sin. You really have to examine your relationship to the Lord because you're trying to be saved by keeping the law and trying to be good and hoping God will take that into account. I know he loves me and I know I'm saved by grace, but I still want to work. And that's kind of our like just our default position we always want to go back to to our works and just hope that god takes that into account In case just in case grace is not all of grace that's one of the hardest things to try to fathom to try to get into your mind into your heart if you're a christian is that you are saved by grace alone through faith alone in christ alone there's nothing that you can do to earn his favor to merit his love Sheer grace is a scary proposition because that leaves everything in God's hands and nothing in your hands. you understand that? So we say it all the time. Oh, we're saved by grace through faith. I know that. But when you really think about the depths of grace and what that means and how far out of the equation that takes you, it's a scary proposition. It's as if God is saying, if you want to be justified by the law, it's just like... For those people, how would you like God to say, okay, here's my law, here's my standard, keep it perfectly, good luck, go for it, I hope you make it. Now, what kind of God is that? It's not, knowing that nobody can keep that standard. Now, good luck along the way. In fact, and Paul brings it out here, a primary use, I would say the primary use of the law, a big, big reason that the law was given, Paul says, Since through the law comes knowledge of sin, is the idea that the law teaches us how unable we are to keep it rightly, right? Through it comes knowledge of sin. No one's ever justified by it. In fact, it condemns us. It can't save you. That's what Paul's saying, because the tendency is always to go back to hey, if I only do, hey, if I try to please my parents, I know I'm going to be rewarded. If I do this, I'm going to be good. And, you know, so we kind of equate that. No, no. We can't keep this. We're not justified by it. And as a matter of fact, it condemns us. So when you look at the commandments, you should say, wow, I'm going to, it's, it's the difference between saying, wow, I'm going to try hard. I'm going to climb that mountain. I'm going to do all I can, as opposed to saying, there's no way I could do this. God, I can't, I'm not this. I need something outside of myself. I need someone else. Because I can't keep this. In Galatians 2.16, we're told this. We know that a person's not justified. That's accounted righteous before God, accepted in God's sight. By the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. In Acts thirteen we're told, and in him, everyone who believes is freed. See, there's a freedom from that. Some of you guys are in bondage because you're still trying to keep the law. You're still legalistically applying the law. Well, maybe if I don't wear this and I wear that, or if I don't listen to this and listen to that, if I do this and don't do that, then you're under that burden of the law. He says in Acts, everyone who believes in him is free from everything which you could not be freed of in the law of Moses. The law doesn't free us from anything. It condemns us. That's one of the big uses of the law. It shows us that we can't do it. Do you understand that? It's a big deal because so many, like I said earlier, even evangelicals are under this idea, you know, yeah, saved by grace, but I'm going to still keep the law, and I'm going to try to do it in that way. But the idea here is when Paul's talking about the knowledge of sin comes to it. Look at the commandments. Just look at them. And if you think for one moment, just think for a couple moments, and you're going to see yourself that you're not really trying to please God in everything that you do, are you? I mean, hopefully as Christians we are seeking to do that, but you know, before Christ, <clears throat> I'm not really thinking about God. He's not entering into my decisions and the things that I say. you Think about your life before Christ. Did you really think about, is this honoring God? Am I putting another God before him when I do that? You never thought like that. Right? But that's the law showing us and saying, this is how you need to think. You know, if you, if you want to please God, then you have to have Him only as your God all the time. No idols to build. No taking His name in vain. But that's where we run to. We run to our idols. We look, we look to our idols to give us comfort, to give us hope, to, that self-esteem, whatever we want, whatever we need, we think is going to get us by. So just look at that. And, and it should convict us. Comes knowledge of sin. Even in our honoring of authority. you know, There's a little bit of rebel in all of us and we always want to push back. It's more in some than in others. We talk about the fifth commandment, honoring your parents. That extends to honoring all authority. How many of us really love to honor authority? Sometimes you just want to poke it to the man. Right? You just want to get away with it. The law shows us that. that we're not always honoring as we ought to be. Oh, I never murdered anybody, haven't you? You never murdered anybody. What does Jesus say? If you're angry with your brother, if you hate that brother, have you ever wished something so bad on another person? I just, I just hate you so much. I wish you were dead, or I wish this evil upon you. We've been there. You've murdered somebody. Well, I've never committed adultery. I never actually cheated. How much lust have you ever had in your heart? In your mind? See, that's part of what the Lord sees. He knows. You can try to give excuses. There's no, your mouth is going to be shut before him. Because we can't keep the law perfectly. It's meant. To show us that we can't do this—that's a primary use of the law. There are other uses of the law to restrain evil and for Christians to be a light and a guide. Amen and praise God. But primarily, it's meant to say: instead of saying, "Okay, here's the standard. I'm going to work hard. <clears throat> I'm going to do this," you need to look at it and say, "I can't do this. I break this every moment of my life in thought, word, or deed. One, you know, one of, in one of those ways. <clears throat> How many times have you lied, cheated, stolen?" I've never taken anything from anybody. No? How about at work? How many times did you just go to work and do the bare minimum? And when the manager's not there, you're just going to hang out and party. You know you're stealing, don't you? You're taking time away. We still... So, you can't escape it. This is, this is, you've never coveted. You never wanted anything so badly that somebody else has had that that you can't stand that person because you want what they have so badly. You covet that. You'll go way beyond your means to get that just so you say you could have that. Gossip, lying, slandering. That's what the law points out. Paul's saying, through the law comes knowledge of sin. It shows me that I don't meet that standard. If you look to the law, then you're going to be crushed by the weight of it. And that's, and that's what I mean. And that's where people get legalistic. And that's where, you know, you kind of add on to the law because, okay, here's what the law actually says, but I'm going to do this, this, and this just in case. That's The Pharisees were famous for doing that. So they had Sabbath laws. You were supposed to rest and there were various laws, just kind of take it nice and easy, but they were so afraid that they would build more and more fences, like to fence, to fence themselves so they wouldn't sin. So, a tailor couldn't even carry his spool of yarn with a needle because if he tripped and that needle went into the spool, that would be considered work and that's a sin. See how far it goes? See how we depend on the law? When you try to reach it, instead of, you're going to be crushed by it. But when you look to Jesus Christ, who actively, all the time, without fail, kept the commandments perfectly, meeting all the requirements, keeping the standard, for sinners like us. That's why we have to look to Christ and be saved by grace. Hebrews 4.15 tells us this. We don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Yet without sin. In every single way, there's a temptation. But he kept it perfectly. We need forgiveness for breaking God's law. We need our guilt removed, but we also need to be counted righteous. Do you understand? We need to be justified as if we've never sinned. How could that be? And that's what Paul's going to get into. So we're not going to spend a lot of time at all this morning on that, but we will be talking about justification starting next week. Because Christ not only satisfies God's wrath for sin, his righteousness is also given to us through faith. So it's as if we've never sinned. All of our sins are accounted to Christ, given to Him, all His righteousness given to us. So Second Corinthians five twenty one tells us this: For our sake, He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Do you understand? We need a perfect righteous Savior. You can't have a person who has even one sin to be your Savior because He sinned. He needs forgiveness. Christ alone kept it perfectly. So when He goes to the cross right? Pays for our sins. The guilt is removed as we believe in him by faith alone. All his righteousness is given to us. So when God looks at you, who does he see? Does he see your sinfulness? Will you have to stand before him with your mouth closed in that way? No, he sees the righteousness of Christ imputed to you. And on that basis, he says, not guilty. You are, praise God, you are not guilty. It's an alien righteousness. It's a foreign righteousness. It doesn't belong to us. It's given to us by Christ. If we had to be actually righteous before God, which one of us would say anything? We're done. We're toast. But we look to Jesus Christ who kept it for us. That's the key. That's what Paul's getting at. That's how we are justified in his sight. See, we can never make ourselves righteous through obedience. We need his righteousness. And that's exactly what we receive through faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. That's what Paul's saying here as we're ending up in this in this section here. But you're not going to be justified by the works of the law. If you're a person today, and you've been in church even for a long time and you think that that's still the way to go by being good, by trying harder, by doing better. No, no. If you're in Jesus Christ, you cannot lose that salvation, that salvation by grace alone, through faith alone and Christ alone. Now, as Christians, don't even get lost in trying to say, well, now that I'm a Christian, I'm going to try to keep the commandments perfectly. No, they're not that. For that. They're a guide to us in that way. But we're, we're just, we have favor in the Lord. right? Being sanctified is living our lives in Christ, being in the means of grace, seeking to grow, confessing our sins, and living for Him. And as we do that, you'll see the law kind of show up in your life. Right? So, if you're loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, you're going to be honoring him. You're going to have no other gods before him. And when you see other gods before him, you're placing other gods before him, you're going to repent of that. You get that? So it's it's not, I don't want you to understand, understand this that as Christians, now we're going to, you know, now we're going to keep the law. No, you live for Christ. And as you live for Christ faithfully, it shows up in your life. That law does, right? You're not actively thinking, you know, I need to do this, I need to do this. But if, as you live for Christ, you're going to love your wife the way you need to love your wife. You're going to be the husband that you need to be for your wife. And she's going to be the wife that she needs to be for you. And you're going to be fulfilling that seventh commandment without even recognizing or knowing it. I only have eyes for you, right? And I love you. See, that's the idea. It's not like, okay, now I'm going to try. Now I can do it. Mm, I'm living for the Lord. I'm relying on his spirit. I'm being sanctified in him. And I'm going to be content with everything he's given to me because now I see it through the eyes of providence. I understand my circumstances and his providence as he's sovereign over all things. It's not me doing this, not that. It's God over me. So whether it's great, good times, amen, we praise God. And even in the difficult times, we praise God because he has us there and he's teaching us and we're looking to him and leaning on him. So we're content with what we have. I don't need to covet. I don't need that. I have Christ. I have everything I need. Oh, there's the 10th commandment. You see? See how that works. I am going to be the best worker that I can be. I'm going to honor my boss. I'm not going to sit there and complain about my boss every day and come home and say, oh man, and I'm, you know, they, I deserve more than this and they're treating me like that and I'm just going to not do this. I'm not going to do that. If you live as a Christian, you're going to honor that authority. And you're going to be the best citizen that you could be out there. Even if a police officer pulls you over and you're in the right, you're still going to be the best citizen you could be. That's the fifth commandment showing up in your life. You See? You're not thinking, oh, I need to keep the fifth commandment and honor. I'm just being a Christian, and it comes through. So I don't want you to make that mistake that, okay, now no law to be saved, but now, now that we're Christians, we need to kind of concentrate on the law to be sanctified. No, man. Be who you are in Christ, and that's going to show up in your life. And then you're going to love that law. You're going to say, yeah, I do want to be that kind of husband. I do want to be that kind of person. I want to be content. I want to be loving and forgiving, right? That's what shows up in our lives. It's right for Christ to save us, for he's the only one who can. We never make ourselves righteous through our obedience. We need his righteousness, and that's exactly what we receive in Christ. It's right before you. Look, you can't be saved by your works. If you try, if you try to be saved by works, if you think that you're good enough, if you think, if I just do this, if I just do that, when you stand before the Lord, you're going to be culpable for your sin. You're going to be culpable for the guilt. You're going to have to answer before the Lord. And what are you going to say? you're going to know what you deserve you'll be culpable for the penalty for the guilt and for the shame as you stand before him with nothing to say that's why you turn to christ that's why you look to christ christ who paid it all for you and rest in his grace and his grace mercy and love alone and then you'll stand before god And there might be that momentary stunned silence because of the majesty before us. But then it'll be followed by praise unending in his sight. That's what we have. Every mouth will be stopped. The law should lead you to Christ.